Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an SB Nation blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and this week I want to focus on the most important game of the week. No, it's not against the Rangers, it's not against the Predators, it's a game against the Ducks. The results of this game could have massive impacts on Connor Bedard's future. And so, I brought on a special guest, Stephen, from the Forever Mighty podcast, to talk about the Anaheim Ducks. Stephen, thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. It's uh, it's nice to be able to talk to someone who's about as equally sad and angry as I <laughs> basis. So. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into talking about this year's edition of the team, uh, talk a little bit about yourself. How long have you been a Ducks fan? What's been your journey there? How did you get into blogging and potting about the Ducks? I mean, I've been a, a Ducks fan pretty much my whole life. Uh, I grew up in Southern California and especially in the the early days of the ducks, um, they were terrible and the tickets were cheap. So, you know, it was easy for us to go. Um, my dad's, uh, my dad's a Kings fan. My uncle's a, a ducks fan. So I've always kind of been aware of both, which has been both a gift and a curse at different sure. times. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, just kind of that way, just, um, uh, you know, I mean, the first game I ever remember going to was uh, Team Solani scoring a hat trick against the Wayne Gretzky St. Louis Blues. Wow. So it's just like a super weird like thing. Uh-huh. I was really lucky to be in the building when they won game five against Ottawa for the Stanley Cup, yeah. which was super cool. Uh, beyond that, you know, I mean – Growing up in Southern California, there hasn't always been a ton of people to talk hockey with. Mm-hmm. So as sure. much as I've hated it, watching the Kings be successful has been great for that. And, and, and you know, I just kind of found my way to the Anaheim Calling website, which RIP a little bit yeah. on the on the a little bit under the down, the dirt right now. But, uh, you know, just doing that. And then I wrote for the hockey writers for a little bit. And that's kind of how I found uh, one of the guys I podcast with now, Eddie, who's the main guy I podcast with. Um, and he was just asked me to fill in one time and then it just kind of worked. And so I've been doing that for, oh God, two years now. Two, yeah, almost two, two and a half years. Because I think the the COVID shortened year 
was yeah was the first year i i started doing stuff with them so you know it's been a couple of years it's been a really weird time there's been a lot to be happy about a lot to be very sad about right uh you know so yeah it's just been weird but it's been fun and it's been a blast it's been nice to be able to talk ducks hockey with people and meet different people and stuff like that so it's it's been cool man yeah and it has been a rough few years here for the ducks um it feels to me like they were a consistently competitive team for you know a decade or so Mm -hmm. there after winning the cup and then just suddenly fell off a cliff did it feel that way to you as well or did you kind of see the end coming for that that core of the team yeah i think it was I think it was a little bit of both for me personally, right? Like, I think if you're a little bit better about being objective in the middle of it (laughs) happening, you can kind of see the end of the road coming. Um, But, you know, I mean, more than anything, like the Ryan Kessler injury just completely derailed the team's ability to be competitive for the last little bit of the twins window and then you had the Corey Perry buyout and that was all weird and stuff like that so you know I mean we saw we saw the guys getting older and we knew it was kind of coming but there were a couple of little players here and there that you hoped would be able to kind of hold the window open a little longer than they were able to and most of those guys are on other teams now so um you know, so yeah, to like watch Hampus Lindholm be great, watch Josh Manson be great is is very hard, but mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful to watch them kind of have the success that they're having right now. Got it. Yeah. Now, last year's team, uh, actually very similar to Columbus. I feel like in the fall of twenty one, you had Columbus and Anaheim as two unexpectedly good teams, and were in the playoff race around Thanksgiving, and then I think. No one was surprised when both of those teams kind of hit the wall and fell off a bit. Um, So coming into this year, what were your expectations for the team? Did you think they would be able to build on that or did you think it was going to be another hard year? I I was pretty certain this year was going to suck. Okay. Um, Because... Ryan Getzloff, this is the first year the team hasn't had him. Like, I, I, you know, I mean he just meant so much to the organization, not only on the ice, but just Mm -hmm. off the ice and what he, what he did for the organization. He was, he was the temple that the whole thing was built around, Um, you know, sort of not have him here has been really weird. And you can see different, different parts of the the season where the team struggles and you're like, Oh, it would have been nice to have like big brother around and be like, Mm -hmm. ah, it's going to be okay. Um, Yeah. But, you know, the two guys I mentioned earlier, Manson and Lindholm, for me, that was the big one. Like, I just, this team doesn't have a strong enough defensive group that I felt like they were going to be able to be competitive on most nights. And some of the young forwards are still doing well. And, you know, you guys know all about this. There's ups and downs with different young guys. and Two years forward, one year back, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and it's just been kind of weird. Like Mason McTavish has been having a nice year. He's gotten stronger as the year has gone on, which has been great. Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry both look really good. The Jamie Treesdale injury, you know, was a real kick in the pants. Um, you know, I, I would say that I think in a lot of ways this year has kind of gone about as bad as I expected to, though I think on a nightly basis, the lows have been a little bit lower than maybe you sure. wanted to admit coming in. Uh, you know, seven one six one loss to like the Sharks can be pretty humbling. Yeah, 
you know. So yeah, well, and that's last two years I've been repeating this refrain of, I want the team to be bad but fun. Like I can mm-hmm. understand if there's going to be growing pains and there's going to be losses, but like at least be competitive, at least score goals. Like if we're going to lose, like I'm okay losing a high scoring game. Mm-hmm. And, and last year's Jackets team, I felt like definitely fit that bill where that was a team that had some com- a lot of comeback wins and they had a lot of guys having career years and all that. Um, but then this year's team has been just bad. They don't have comeback wins. They quit. <laughs> they don't score a lot of goals. And that part is, is really frustrating. That makes it just kind of a slog. Now for the ducks last year, it seemed like a dividing line in that season was the GM change. Now that wasn't just for hockey reasons, obviously. Right. Um, but then it felt like when they hired Pat Verbeek, that he made the decision in advance of the deadline to go ahead and really tear it down and trade off every asset that they could. Um, and, seem to get a lot in return for guys like Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm. Were you okay with that decision to tear it down? Or did you think the team should have tried to build on what they had? No, I I think it was the right decision. I think, you know, the circumstances around Bob Murray's departure were weird and awkward and, you know, gross. If you want to use that word, I think sure. it's fair. Um, you know, but the real big question for last season was, was like, is Bob Murray, who was notoriously kind of a double down kind of guy, mm-hmm. yeah. is he going to be willing to make the kinds of moves that this team needs to be made? And fortunately enough, I guess, you know, that decision was taken out of his hands. And Verbeek has come in and Verbeek's been uh, aggressive in moving guys out. I think a lot of fans have been at different times frustrated with how um, undecidedly unaggressive he's been with bringing players in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were the three big free agent signings, big contextually uh, in Vetrano, Ryan Strom and uh, John Klingberg. And they've mm-hmm. had different levels of success and all sorts of stuff like that, you know, but like, you know, like you guys, I'm sure have been watching the waiver wires as well. And you're mm-hmm. seeing Jacob Vrana and Eli Tolvanen and, and Mike Riley and Boston. And these are guys that while with, I guess you could say with the exception of Vrana, who's a little bit more high end, they, they're not making anybody anything special, right? But they're the kind of players that when you look at a competitive team are in depth roles. Right. And, and I think that's kind of been the hard thing for Anaheim this year for the fan base, especially is this kind of, give and take with understanding that this is a tank and we are in on Connor Bedard and Fantilli and Carlson and Mitchkov. And, you know, those are the guys that we are in it for this year. And it's weird because it's really nice to kind of have that very clear direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it it's also a little bit weird for like, I mean, look, like as sports fans, we know to believe about 35 to 40% of anything the GM says at any given <laughs> right. time. And, you know, he did an interview a couple weeks ago where he talked about expecting the team to be closer to 500. And I just have a hard time thinking that's anything other than him giving weird optimism to the fan base. Like, oh, I think this team can mm-hmm. be a little bit more competitive. They're struggling, yada, yada, yada. But like... There have been, like I said, those three guys he could have made. We've seen different players who have been available throughout the season. You know, there's no reason Ethan Bear couldn't be on this Ducks team right, right. now. You know what I mean? And and 
and it's fine. Um, I don't mind him being aggressive. I don't mind him, you know, making a, a decided effort to be like, we are going to be so bad <laughs> this year <laughs> right. that we can do the best job we can as far as securing um, the best odds we can to win the draft lottery because the top four or five is so stacked this year. And, you know, it's been great. I, I like what he's done. He's been much more um, communicative with the fan base, which has been really nice. Um, but I, I just think this is the first year of a new GM and it's the first year in a decidedly new era of Ducks hockey. And, and it's just kind of weird. There's just a lot more question marks than answers. Yeah. And that's the part that I think has kind of created some tension. But as far as Pat Verbeek's done, the the issue right now seems to be most people just want Dallas Eakins gone. And I know you guys are super mm. happy with your coaching in Columbus. <laughs> and so you don't know what that's like. Um, I, 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 I do keep waiting to see seeds explode online. <laughs> um, you know, but I, it's just one of those things where – I, I just don't know how much more he can do that isn't at a certain point kind of undercutting his kind of goal for what this season is. Yeah. And it's just a weird give and take. And, you know, frankly, Anaheim's never been in this position um, where it's just been like, oh, we're just going to be as bad as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they won the Stanley Cup under Brian Burke. And then the next year, Bob Murray was the GM until last year. Yeah, Like it, it has been a remarkably stable franchise in that sense. And it's just led to this weird thing where it's like, oh my God, we've got these young guys. We can kind of see the future a little bit here, mm-hmm. but it's still a little bit farther away than I think some of us may have thought coming into the year. So, yeah. And that's, I, I do appreciate when the GMs can communicate with the fans and try to let them into what they're doing. I think, a great example of that is when the Rangers kind of admitted that they were going to, Hey, we're going to tear it down now. It's going to be hard for a little bit, you know, and I think it ended up being not as hard as they sold it as, which was nice for Rangers fans. And they mm-hmm. actually really didn't tear it down as much as they could have. But then, yeah, when, when they're trying to sell us, it's like, Oh yeah, this, we thought this team was going to be a lot better. And like, come on, did you really? And yeah. And, and my frustration with Columbus is that there've been interviews this week with Jeremy Kekalein and John Davidson where, you know, they seem to suggest that, you know, the injuries were the biggest thing for the Jackets. And we have had a ton of injuries, and that makes things really hard. But when this team was healthy, they were also playing really poorly. And so don't try to tell me that this team was better off than it was because, no, there's still some some issues here. And even with the injuries, like, that still doesn't explain playing, you know, Matthew Olivier more minutes than Kirill Marchenko. Like, that just doesn't make sense, you know, unless you are really – even. That only makes sense if the coach is in on, yes, we're going to lose as much as possible, but right. I don't think that's what Larson's doing. I just think Larson is, is really stupid. <laughs> um. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 
Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. But let's talk about your bad coach. It seems like are, are you are you out on Dallas Eakins as being the answer uh, behind the bench? Dallas Eakins is really weird for me because I like him a lot. I personally think anybody coaching in Edmonton, especially in that era when he was there, <laughs> yeah, I I really don't have a lot of interest or patience for holding that against you. I just don't think it's necessarily fair because. I mean, they've had good coaches, they've had great players, and it hasn't made a difference. The the team up there has still just kind of been in its own way at every at every turn. He was great with the Marlies, uh, which is how he got the Edmonton job. And then he came in down to San Diego, the AHL team for Anaheim, and he was great. He did a really good job working with these young players and things like that. And you know, I he's come into Anaheim and and you know, like so like. My Twitter handle is like the hockey boomer. And like, mm-hmm. I love that kind of like, I, I love certain like old school kind of yeah mentality things. And I love that Aiken's thing is about accountability. Um, you know, like I think he's a great guy for a young team in so much as he's going to help these guys become professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really as anybody who has recently graduated college and had a real <laughs> job knows you might've been working full time and going to college. It, it, it just, it isn't the same thing necessarily because of the way that you have to break up your own schedule and things like right. that. And an 82 seat an 82 game season is a lot, um, yeah. you know, and, and for guys like Kent Johnson and, you know, Trevor Zegers who like they come up and it's post pandemic. And so everything's yeah. weird anyways. Um, you know, having a, a coach that I, I do think on a human level understands what it means to be a professional athlete, understands what it means to have that kind of personal accountability and commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. I, I eat that stuff up. The problem is, is, and this is something I've had to just kind of come to grips with, especially this year as it's gotten out of hand, is it's just, it's hard to say that with the exception of a couple of players improving, that the on ice product has been anything other than a disaster. Mm. Um, you know, the team doesn't look comfortable. They don't look confident. They don't look like they know what they're supposed to be doing mm. sometimes. And, and it's weird, you know, for me, because I think, you know, again, like for me, one of the things that, that, that is a, a push and pull with coaching and, and critiquing it is these are professional athletes. These guys yeah. have been doing this since they were six. They don't need to be taught how to skate. They don't need to be taught how to hold a stick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they understand what they're doing. These guys have right. played at a high level. They're talented. They're smart. And so it's it's about 
focus. It's about effort and things like that. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to feel like too much of this is Aiken's fault when the team doesn't have any fight. Mm-hmm. And then there's times where you're like, the job of the coach is to help players rise above their abilities, whether that's through system or just through, you know, human, like pumping people up and just getting them to buy in. Like, and it doesn't feel like there's really been anybody who's kind of taken that step up under Aikens and is playing above their head. And so, you know, coming into this year, my thought was he's going to be gone by Valentine's day. Mm -hmm. Based on some stuff that Verbeek has said, that doesn't seem realistic at this point. Right. Every week there's a different game that's like, well, surely that'll make him change his mind. <laughs> and it hasn't. So, you know, I, I think for now it, it feels like Aikens is going to be gone at the end of the year. And uh-huh. I hope he gets another shot. I really like him. And if he's only ever just a really good AHL coach, then I hope he is personally yeah. able to find peace with that. Because it's not easy to get to the AHL level. Right. You know what I mean? Like. Mm. And it's just, I I really, really like him. And I think he has a lot to offer. I think a, as a player development kind of figure, he has a lot to offer. I don't know necessarily that he's the guy who is going to help turn a middling team into a good team. Yeah. And, and that's... Think, yeah. And I think there's something to be said for, yeah, having a reputation of being a great player development guy. Like that's always going to find you a job somewhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it might hurt to know that like, you're not going to be a, you know, cup contending coach at the right. NHL level, but you know, you can at least have the satisfaction of coaching guys up on their way up and mm-hmm. seeing them go on to great things later on. And that's can be a very rewarding thing uh, in itself. Um, and it's, you know, that's an important role in any organization to have that, but, but it's a different skill set to be coaching guys that are that have been in the league for 10 years mm-hmm. that are making more money than you are yeah. and all that. That's just having to deal with all that. Um, so it sounds, you know, again, like a lot of stuff is being very familiar here with, with me and the Larson situation. And, you know, I've said I give credit to Larson for the Jackets last year being better than expected, better than they probably should have been. But then I also feel like he's holding them back this year. But then I'm also trying to make sense in my mind of what, what is go- what is so different? What has gone wrong from last year, this year, with him pressing the right buttons last year, not pressing the right buttons this year? Do you have any insight with Akins as to what may have changed for his thing not working? Is, is this something different with the locker room makeup? Is it the lack of, of Getzlaff, like you said? Or is it just the players needing a different voice. I think for me, it feels like in a lot of ways, it's just kind of the natural life cycle of being a coach. Like at a certain point, your voice goes stale. Mm -hmm. And I think it is hard. I think for a coach of Aiken's style Mm -hmm. to really get consistent buy-in when the team is underwater most nights. And and I just think not having Getzloff, not having Lindholm, not having Manson, these are guys who are are very good players, but they were also in, integral to the identity of the franchise. Like yep. Lindholm, for my money, is the best defenseman the team ever drafted. 
Like, I think there's a couple of guys you can obviously look at and be like, oh, yeah, they're already in the Hall of Fame. We can have that conversation. <laughs> but as far as guys that they brought into the team and developed, Lindholm to me is the guy. I love him. He's incredible. It's been wonderful to watch him pop in Boston. Um, and, he, you know, he's not a, a an overly vocal guy. He's a little bit more of a calm guy on the yeah. ice and off. But his steady 25 minutes a night of yeah. just being really good, like – it matters. Like, it's yeah. just nice to have a guy that you're like, oh, you're just really good for 25 minutes a night. Yeah. And that's cool. Um, you know, or guys like Manson and Getzloff where, you know, like you talked about earlier, like there's just nights where the team doesn't have any fight in them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do. Like Sam Carrick tries a little bit. Max Comtois tries a little bit. Uh, Trevor Zegras has been a little bit feistier this year than mm-hmm. I would have expected. And, 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 you know, it's nice, but it just doesn't feel like there's really anybody there to kind of grab them by the scruff of the neck and take them forward. And I think when you're a coach in the style that Aikens is, that's a huge issue because he needs to be able to be like, this is what we're doing, but he needs that leadership group to drag guys forward. Mm-hmm. And that's not there right now. And again, part of being a young team, I'm sure you guys are seeing this, like you guys are fortunate, at least uh, fortunate enough, at least to have Zach Wierenski who. Mm-hmm means a lot to that franchise he's a great player yeah um but he can only do so much on his own and i'm not trying to upset you when i say this but there's a certain young man in in seattle right now who i imagine would have been very helpful in this process as well yeah that could be one of the big differences for sure yeah you know yeah. and i i think it's and a lot of the times it feels like we look for single reasons, but I think most times it's 10 to 15 different little things that change and guys are in different roles. Guys are in different expectations. Guys are in different places mentally, you know, especially for a young player like Zegris, like in Troy Terry, like they popped last year. Yeah. And this year they haven't been bad by any stretch. They're not necessarily producing at the rate that they were last year, but I would argue they've both been better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's year two of them being good and teams know that. You know what I mean? Like it's easier to be like, okay, these are the guys we have to focus on Mm. and it just makes it harder for everybody. And when there isn't kind of that institutional, I don't know, like just rigidity or or direction, it it can be very difficult for the coach to have much of an effect of anything if he's not just a straight X's and O's guy. Mm -hmm. One last question about this team and, and kind of shifting gears a little bit. John Gibson, he's been bad. He's under contract for four more years. What do the Ducks do with the John Gibson situation? Again, with the analog to Columbus, we've got Elvis Merzlikens in the first year of a five-year deal. He's been really bad. A couple better games lately, thankfully, but that's a big question mark. What do you do with a goalie that's struggling that has term? Yeah, I mean, I, I, will, I will die on the the team has failed Gibson more than the Gibson has mm. failed the team Hill. Like I just yeah. refuse to go backwards on that one. He's struggling. He doesn't have any support. The defense in front of him is not good. Like, yeah. you know, Cam Fowler can't be the best defenseman on your team. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> it's just not good yeah. enough. And I think that he like years of watching this team just fall apart in front of him has been very difficult on him. And goalies are emotional. Goalies are yeah. basket cases in, in the best way. <laughs> um, it's, yeah. it's a very weird position. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other night to me, it's the closest, the, the only comparable to being a goalie is being a pitcher. 
Yeah. Because if you're not on, it doesn't matter how good anybody else you're playing with is that night. You're screwed. Yeah. Like, and, you know, so I think for me, I, I hope he can find a new place. I wonder if this isn't a buyout thing at this mm-hmm. point, just because I don't know that anybody's going to take him for four more years at 6.4 million a year. Yeah. Like, I think the goalie who was worth that contract is still in there. I, it's not as easy as it was last yeah. year or the year before to find it. So I don't know, you know, I, I think there has to be some kind of breakup in the next yeah. little bit. I just don't know how they're going to get there. Cause that contract's awful. Yeah. And sometimes goalies like that, they really, they just need to change the scenery and there's just not, a, not a solution when you're keeping them in house there. And, uh, and, and it's weird because when it was signed too, I thought like that is a great deal. And I thought it was going to age really well because he had some amazing years early on. There were like, he is incredibly underpaid, even at $6 million, but yeah. it, it just got, it got bad. And I, and I totally understand how that happens. And yeah, you mentioned Cam Fowler and I think I still had it in my head. It's like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good young defenseman. Like he's 31 now. Yeah. He's 31. <laughs> how, how did that happen? He's Jesus. 31. And thank God. Cause he, he still Ooh. skates well. I don't know what else he does, but he skates really well. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, we're all looking ahead to the draft now and, um, you know, it's very heavy with a lot of these really intriguing young centers, which obviously is something that the Jackets need, but you, you have Trevor Zegras and Mason McTavish playing center this year. Uh, is there as much of a need or do you not even question that you just take Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli and you move one of those other guys to wing or are the Ducks maybe a fit for Matt Mitchkov? who could be a very, very great winger, but you might have to wait a few years on him. Is that something mm-hmm. that the Ducks, do you think, can afford to do? And might that be a better fit for them than one of the centers? So for me, when it has come to this kind of draft, like specifically this draft and having Zegris and having McTavish, and even having Nathan Gaucher, who had a really nice World Juniors and looks like he can be a solid third-line defensive mm-hmm. type you know, guy, I just kind of keep looking at um tampa bay mm-hmm. and it's just like it's weird like sometimes they play steven stamkos on the wing yeah and nobody freaks out <laughs> right. so maybe we should all just like have a thought about that like yeah. i think at this point if you like if you get number one i don't think there's a question right you're taking bedard and you're calling it a day sure um if you get number two i think the questions around fantilli and carlson and mitchkov are really interesting i personally really like the idea of mitchkov just because looking at minnesota and the way that kaprizov yeah was off and off and off and all these other guys were kind of able to develop and then he comes over and it's just a nos right it's just he's instantly ready yeah plug and play and he's exactly what that team needed as far as a kick in the pants to push him, mm-hmm. you know? So he's a really intriguing option to me. Um, but it is Anaheim. It's not a traditional market. And I don't know how much more patience there is. So like, mm. I would not begrudge anybody being like, look, it's Bedard or Fantilli. Yeah. You know, and even Carlson is in that conversation as sure. well, as far as just being able to come in and start playing games right away. But like yeah. you said, Mitchkov's going to be a couple of years away. I think for a team like Arizona, that makes a lot of sense. For a team like Chicago, that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. They're not getting anywhere anytime soon. Sure. And the idea of, you know, Cooley Mitchkov is a hell of an idea to have. Mm, yeah. You know, so I think for Anaheim, for me, it's you take the who you think the best player available is and you figure it out. And I also think like for an, uh, 
a really like selfish point of view. Mason McTavish and Connor Bedard are really good buddies. Okay, yeah. If you're gonna be able to move Connor Bedard to the wing, might be with the guy he played World Juniors on the wing with. You know what I mean? Yeah, like to me, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, like they already like each other. They already get along. And we can kind of have our Trevor Zegers, Troy Terry, American Lion, and our Mason McTavish, Connor <laughs> Bedard, Canadian Lion, and we can just kind of keep going, man. So, you know, it's it's a weird thing, but I, I think at this point it's Connor Bedard, and then you still take the best player available because I just I don't know how you feel about it, but for me it's kind of like how everybody decides whether or not a defenseman can play on their offside <laughs> when they know the defenseman. And it's like, oh, he can't do that. He's not good. Or, oh, he can do that. He's fine. And it's weird how that's what is always what changes people's opinion of whether or not you need a lefty righty is how good the guys are. It's like, yeah, that's the same thing for forwards. Like if he's a really great center, the odds are he can still be a really good winger. Like I don't Mm. think, you know, like Trevor Zegers is playing wing right now and everybody's losing their mind. And it says, why? He's still good. Like playing wing doesn't mean he can't go to the middle of the ice. Right. It's it's a freewheeling game. These guys are everywhere all the time. Like we've all got defensemen that regularly, for good or bad, end up below the other net. <laughs> like, yeah, we know that this isn't static. Yeah, and, and someone had asked last summer, you know, when Gaudreau got signed, and were asking like Line A, you know, oh, you know, do you, you will you play the left? Will you play the right or whatever? And he's like, he's like that just matters where you set up for faceoffs, you know. Yeah. When, when the pucks in play, we're cycling anyway. We're playing on all ends of the ice. It, it just doesn't matter. And, and and I happen to agree that if a guy is a center type, that, okay, you can play him at center, but you can also play him at wing. And it's not like anyone is going to be totally lost at wing if they're a natural center. Right. But if there's a wing, like Mitchkov, he's not going to be able to play center. So right. I think I Unless... think definitely... And Mark that, Bergevin, in which case everybody <laughs> should play center. It's fine. Right. Uh, so I think at with the kind of players you're talking about and at the very top of the draft like that, like you take the best player possible. Um, and I think Mitchkov might have the highest floor of any of these guys from what I'm hearing, but the ceiling for Bedard is like so, so high. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it sounds like with Fantilli and Carlson, they're not at Bedard level, but they're still like, this is a player that can be your number one franchise type guy mm-hmm. for the next 10 years. So you take that without hesitation. So I'm at the point I'll be fine with any of those guys. Well, not, not Mitch Cobb. I want to, I want a center and I want a guy that will be here in the next year or two. Right. Um, but again, yeah. If one of those guys starts at wing, like, sure, that's fine. They can be productive. Uh, you know, Kent Johnson started at wing this year and was really good at wing. Now if he's moving to center, I think he's fine there. Like it can work out. So you, you, you take the good player, and then you have a coach that hopefully can tell his head from his ass and makes the best out of the situation. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as we're seeing the game become faster and more skilled and more creative, like it's it's what a lot of people want, which is it's yeah. moving from a top six to a top nine. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Like, <laughs> oh, no, we have three guys who all need to play center, but reasonably are all really good. Whatever we're going to do. You're, you're going to play them. What are we talking about? Like, you know, and, and I think there's some of the hand wringing can get a little excessive at times and it makes sense. Like your team, my team, like it's not fun right now. Right. So there's a lot of like consternation and, and trying to make sure that people are staying kind of on top of things. But I just think at times 
we can let ourselves get a little carried away in some of the minutia. And it's just like, look, if these guys are as good as they say they, they as people mm-hmm. say that they are, I don't care if they play goalie. It sounds like they're <laughs> going to be great. It's going to be fine. Like we spent 10, like we spent like three weeks talking about if Mitch Marner is going to play defense on power plays. Like mm-hmm. we don't have to overthink this. We can just let these problems sort themselves out down the line. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for me, I would say Columbus is a little bit closer to competing than Anaheim is. Okay. I yeah. like a lot of the guys on that team. Like I, you know, I don't me and you talked about this, I think uh, a draft or two ago, just offline and stuff, but like, I liked a lot of the little moves that they made. Yeah. Like they did some really clever stuff. You still got Raisin Brain on there and he's driving people crazy <laughs> as he always is going to do. But like, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that like, I like, I like a lot of the guys in Columbus, me and my, me and the other co-host forever, Mighty Eddie, like we love KJ, man. He's yeah. great. He's going to be so much fun. I, he was one of those guys that I, I was so happy he went to a team I don't hate <laughs> because it's just like, oh, yeah, man, I'm very excited to watch this guy just be weird and creative for 10 yeah. years. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So, you know, I I just think sometimes it feels like the water's so over your head, you start swinging at everything. And mm-hmm. it's nice to just remember we're three years away, at least from this being a serious issue. Sure. You know what I mean? So for now, like, let's play guys where we can or where they need to be and the rest of it we figure out when it matters yeah because like this team isn't making the playoffs for two three years which is fine but Mm -hmm. if you have that luxury get the most out of it be aggressive be experimental try to do different things with different guys like i love zegris on the wing because he's in on the four check and he's got a really quick stick like he's really good at getting in on defensemen you know stick checks popping their sticks up and stuff like that so, you know, I don't mind it, but you would think that they sent him to the Hague the way some of the fan base has reacted. It's just, it's wild to me. Well, and just get your, get your best players out there in as many yeah. situations as you can. You got Zegret, Zegret's here averaging almost 20 minutes a game. McTavish, even at uh, at 20 years old, he's playing 15 minutes a game, you know, which is a lot more than the Jackets are playing KJ, which really frustrates me. But, you know, yeah, just get him out there, try try things. And yeah, I feel like sometimes... Mm-hmm. Uh, Larson and company are not experimental enough with what they've had, but mm-hmm. uh, all right. So we're, we're running out of time here. So one last question. This is the movable force against the stoppable object. here. <laughs> but when Anaheim comes, Anaheim is uh, four, 14 and three on the road. So they're just a little bit better on the road than Jackets are, but still pretty bad. Also have won just three of their last 10 games. Like Columbus has, what is your prediction for the game on Thursday? Well, uh personally i think it would be the funniest possible outcome if we get like a good branson hat trick so i am personally (laughs) rooting for that oh jesus that would just the ugliest ugliest hat trick possible because again i've i i love seeds man he's a great dude i love watching him melt down on life it's so funny Uh, and if good branson did something cool like he would he wouldn't know what to do he might throw his phone into the river like oh you know i at this point i i would be more inclined to give it to anaheim just because the injuries in columbus are legit and when it comes down to just you know two wet noodles swinging at each other that's the kind of stuff where having maybe one or two of your more top end guys can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Without Wierenski, like, I don't know who we can keep up with that can actually defend against 
Zegers and McTavish and guys like that. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, I am going to predict for maximum pain that this game goes to a shootout. Yes. So both teams get points from it, and no yes. one's happy about it. <laughs> yep, that's that's perfect. I love it. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm with it, man. I think. I mean, look, if you ask me what I thought the game was going to be, I would say it's probably going to be a 3-1 win either way, okay. which means it'll now either be a 0-0 shootout win or it'll be some 6-5 abomination, and both coaches will lose their minds. <laughs> what do you mean we let in five goals? That's not okay. It's going to be funny. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, sh- should be uh, entertaining for, for all the sickos out there. So exactly. hope, hope you all enjoy it. All right, Stephen, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate being on. Uh, tell the listeners where they can find you uh, online. Yeah, like I said on Twitter, I'm at the Hockey Boomer. Uh, I have all sorts of dumb and stupid things I say out loud there. Uh, Forever Mighty Podcast. We are doing what you're doing, just trying to make it through to the draft and hope we don't uh, – we don't jump off a bridge before we get there. Um, you know, so yeah, we're just trying to do some fun stuff. We're going to try to get some cool stuff doing uh, over the next couple of weeks since Ducks hockey isn't the most interesting. Uh, beyond that, you know, yeah, that's about it right now. So just uh, find me on Twitter. Come have fun. And, uh, you know, if you like to make fun of the Rams, I'm I'm all here for it. <laughs> Yes, so be sure to check them out and check out the Forever Mighty Podcast again. Thanks again, Stephen, and thanks everyone for listening. For more content from the canon, check out jacketscanon.com or follow us on Twitter at CBJCanon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Angela's new album, Turn Me Loose, is out now. Go to AngelaPurley.com for more music and show dates.